Right. And, and, but they all came. They all worshiped. And when Jesus addressed them, he didn't say, we're going to wait here until you all believe. In fact, he didn't he use the word believe. Is that in there? He didn't say, he didn't address that. Instead, he sent them to do the work regardless of where they, of where they were. The Lord approves. Yeah. Or doesn't. I think I just got cut off. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. But yeah, like regard, regardless, regardless of that, like they were, they were all commissioned equally. I don't know what that means. Yes. I'm also struck by, um, the verbs that are there for these disciples. And, and t- touching on what you said, it doesn't say anything about believing. It's just like, you know, they're like, it's like, go make disciples baptize and teach. Those are the things that you have control over. <laughs> you don't have control over the other things. I'm in charge of the other stuff. This is the things that you are in charge of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will be with you in that, which I just find interesting. Hmm. Are you saying you can still doubt and believe? Uh, yeah, I think so. Or at the very least, you can you, you can doubt and be faithful. Or, or maybe I should say you can still doubt and be okay. Yeah. And I know we've all heard this before, but doubt and faith are not opposites. Yeah. Um, certainty is the opposite of faith. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And it, I mean, there's, there's space in this text to doubt. Uh, and it's striking to me that Jesus doesn't chastise the 11. He doesn't give them the, oh, ye of little faith. I mean, this is the first time they're seeing him in his resurrected form. They've only heard from the ladies, the women evangelists that he's risen to go to Galilee. So this is their first time to see him. According to that. According, right. In, in this narrative. Um, and they're spent, yeah, they, they don't get chastised for, uh, for wondering if their eyes are betraying them or if what they're, who they're, if this is true or real. Um, and it, and if, if there's space in this story, in the presence of the resurrected Christ to doubt how much more, you know, to, to, to pull from Paul, you know, how much more should there be space? Uh, and I think there's something too about like the, the relationship of those verbs to go and make and teach, um, in light of the presence of doubt in all of them, like that has to affect the spaces that are held to go and make and teach. Like if there's room in this space for doubt, shouldn't there be room in these spaces out among the nations? All the, all the more. It challenges the assumptions about what making disciples and teaching people means then, right? 
because you uh-huh. can't very well say you have to believe this. Do you believe it? No. <laughs> but I'm teaching you, so you do. Yeah. Right. So what? Can this out? <laughs> Ask me tomorrow. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I can't. Go ahead, sir. Well, I was just, I was just struck by this, like thinking about this as a, as a non, uh, as a non-literate context in a lot of ways of like, so, uh, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. So they don't have like a book. They, you know, they, like this wasn't written down for a couple decades after. You know, so it's like, so what are, what are the things that they're, when they hear teach, teach, uh, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What are, what are the takeaways that they, that they internalize in that? Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been helpful if Matthew would have written that down. <laughs> um, well, but, I think we see it earlier in Matthew and we get, at least we see glimpses of it when Jesus sends out the 70. Yeah. What does it look like? He sends them out to be guests, mm-hmm. to receive hospitality, yeah. to pray for people, to see healing. And to, to talk, to connect the dots for people that this power comes from God. Um, I, I wonder if it's just more of the same. Yeah. Of the things that they were trained to do. And I think you're exactly right that it's not, this is not like a, a lecture series. They're, this is a way of life that yeah. they're, that they're living out among people. Um, and it's not, yeah, it, it it's in vulnerability and humility. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, receiving welcome into pe- people's homes, doing the things they'd already learned to do while Jesus was in his ministry in Galilee. Yeah. And I, one of the, one of the stories that sticks out to me from, uh, one of the parables that stuck out, sticks out for, to me from, from Matthew is the, the wheat and the tares and, um, and the, so it's like, you know, they plant the seed and the weeds, the weeds and uh, the tares grow up within among the weeds and the, the people ask, um, should we go out and take out the, take out those tares? And they say, no, he says, no, that it will affect, you know, that will make, it'll kill the wheat. So wait until the end. And, and so, and then the kind of explanation of that parable, it's like that the angels are the ones in charge of doing that separating, mm-hmm. but that's not our job. Mm-hmm. Like that's not what we're called to. We're called to, to go and to teach and, uh, and to, and make disciples and, and live in community and, and to do those things. But, but God's the one that's in charge of deciding who's in and out, who's out. Mm-hmm. That's not our, that's not our job. Yeah. Can I, can I problematize this story in for a second? Um, I, I want you all, I, I want to invite you all to re- respond to this problematization of the story. <laughs> I'm only, I'm only using words I've heard other people use most of the time. Uh, <laughs> I've heard myself say this word. <laughs> no, 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 we're not accepting that this is the world's word. <laughs> I, I first heard, uh, Sun, Dr. Sung Chan Ra use the verb problematize about the incarnation as a, as a imagination for mission. And he was like, I want to problematize that, especially for white people. Um, don't tether yourselves too closely to the identity of Jesus when you're moving into a neighborhood, mm-hmm. like to think you're the savior or whatever. Right. Yeah. So that, that was the, 
and honestly, that's not unrelated from my problematizing of this story, which is the massive backdrop historically for this story. It is the premier text of missions and colonial enterprise, the doctrine of discovery, this massive doctrine that emerges in the Catholic Church, where essentially, I mean, and it comes out of texts like this, that says the goal of the church is the evangelization of the world. And the, um, the Roman Empire, um, the, the popes of the Roman Catholic Church, they, they collaborate and they take texts like these and imaginations like these to develop this doctrine that says basically the European, uh, explorers under the guise of the Christian banner have uh, not only permission, but blessing and sanction from God to go throughout all of the world and using whatever means necessary, uh, evangelize, Christianize the, the baptize. Yeah. Uh, the planet Willie Jennings book, the Christian imagination is stunning and, uh, heartbreaking in the way that he describes all oh, Henry, one of the Henrys in Portugal, and the way he is, he is by the Pope, by Pope Nicholas, this is like 15th century, he is sanctioned as an agent of God in the first slave, slave trade in historical record. And that, that the slave trade of 200 or so black bodies is spiritualized as an act of worship. Uh, before God, uh, and, and, um, Hen- Prince Henry, uh, offers a tithe to God of black bodies because that is part of the, the spiritual imagination. He's doing God's will to do this because the, the, the overarchy, uh, overarching, uh, end goal, end game is the evangelization of all peoples of the world, parentheses, by whatever means necessary. And so, so perpetual slavery, enslavement was a part of the imagination of how that came to be. Um, which is a horrendous application of this story and highly problematic and, and, and something that has continued in that, that, DNA and like one frame for it is maybe just the DNA of assimilation that, that the, the job of the church is to assimilate the world into it, to, to erase differences, to erase culture and to, um, to get people to buy in. We could call it to belief. We could even call it to our, you know, to our, we could dress it up and say, you know, we're inviting people into our way of life. But it, it's this assimilative logic where, where we're trying to take over the world and we're doing so because that's what Jesus tells us to do. Now, how do you read this story in a way that is not that? Because if we can't, we have to throw it in the garbage. I just out of like human decency, right? Um, yep. Yep, absolutely. Yes. Well, in some of the missiologists, post-colonial missiologists, 
Layman Santa is one of them. He's African, I think. Uh, he, uh, he would say, well, instead of like assimilation, we should use the language of translation instead. Like the gospel needs to be translated into various cultures and contexts, which even then, like, is problematic because who's doing the translating? Who gets to decide how it gets translated? Who's the sender and who is the receiver? On some level, even below the surface, it just continues um, the the understanding that it's us and them, that we're we're bringing something to you. We have the truth. We'll we'll decide how it gets translated into your con- context, which it, it just seems like a that colonial impulse dressed up in a in a new way so let me let me see if i can tie this thread back to our other the doubting yeah yes. a little bit okay because so and and like actually let me go back cuz sarah you pointed out the verbs in the sentence but i want to i want to nitpick that because the verbs the actual verbs um and i think i'm going to get the terms right or were were go and make and baptizing and teaching are gerunds, right? Right. They are, right? They, they are, it is a form of a verb that's really an adjective. It's, it's a descriptive word that's, that's like, as you're going and making, and in, in implicit in that statement is, you're probably going to be doing, you're, you're, your template for making disciples based on the context that you're in, go look at, you know, the Essenes, go look at some of these others. You're, there's a lot of baptizing. There's a lot of teaching. So when you're doing that, do it in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's the new part, right? When you're teaching, again, we're not teaching you have to think this way, you have to believe this way. You're teaching the things I commanded you, right, that way of life that you talked about. Hmm. And so I, this is now I'm going to jump to wonder. I wonder how much of that baptizing and teaching is just that cultural context. Because, you know, I've memorized this passage. Uh, and that, and, and if you, you know, the central word in it was supposed to be baptize as a church of Christ kid. <laughs> See, <laughs> Jesus said you have to baptize. Um, notice you looked at a, a Baptist as you said that, right? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but y'all didn't do it right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, right, right. But like un, un, unpacking all of that and going, okay, that, so where was I? I was, so, so I wonder how much of that is this context and, and how much of the focus is really, I've shown you a new way to live. Like I was thinking about like, what are the things that Jesus actually commanded to the disciples like mm-hmm. the first thing that came to my mind was let the little children come to me and don't hinder them mm. um or like why are you arguing among yourselves about who which one of you is greater um like he he didn't do a lot of religious commands right yeah it was this it was this how do you how do you treat other people mm-hmm. how do you value other people how do you interact with and take care of right and I do think that there is a way to go into every context and teach that, right? We can, we can look at other cultures 
and have respect for other cultures, but also see things that they're doing that are problematic and that are not helpful, right? And instead of coming in and saying, well, we have to baptize you this way, and then you have to, marriage has to look like this, and church has to look like this, and business has to look like this, and we're going to build a town like this. I've, I've been, I've been reading uh, a history of Texas, and right, and that's a big part of it is that the, the Francescans come in and plant these missions and mm-hmm. enslave people, but they say that they're evangelizing to them, mm-hmm. right? Um, right. Like take all the religious stuff out of that and just be like, Hey, go teach people how to treat each other and how to value each other, how to love each other. And then that call is to something higher than the law. Like thinking about specifically in Matthew, so much of that, like the sermon on the Mount, um, you know, like the, the law says this, but I'm calling you to something even greater, uh, even more of a commitment uh, that, that you can't achieve because, but I'm with you kind of mm-hmm. that presence as well. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I don't want to get that way down into the weeds on that, but I do think so, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I really, I really do, but this is not the time. I mean, I do, but I know <laughs> this is a limit. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Okay. Guilty. Um, but, but since Sarah brought it up. <laughs> blame it on Sarah. Yeah, Sarah. blame it on Sarah. Hey, I'll throw you off the bus here. Uh, no, uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount is, you know, when you get to that point, we always took a look at teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you as, as the way that this keeps on getting reproduced, uh, you know, Matthew 28. Well, this is part of teaching them to observe all things. It's going out in the world, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you have to take that in the context of Matthew, too. Uh, and what, you know, there's five teaching sections in Matthew. So what did he teach them in Matthew? Mm-hmm. What is he saying and what did he teach them in Matthew? Um, and you cannot avoid what is in the Sermon on the Mount, which mm-hmm. I always find it very interesting incongruent i won't say ironic because you have to intend that uh but incongruent is that everyone's debating about putting the ten commandments in texas schools but no one's talking about putting the beatitudes in texas schools you know uh you know we're gonna fight over socialists yeah 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 we're gonna fight over one but we wouldn't even (laughs) think about no one even talks about that uh but yet that's really what matthew is talking about at least i think from what Mm -hmm. what i'm reading on that Mm -hmm. um yeah, I just, I, I do think there is a case for going. Um, and I have read a kickback on that particular thing that the gerunds actually do have the force of imperative too in the Greek. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. You know, yeah, I don't know. I'm just not sure. Uh, you know, it just irritates me that people actually come back when I thought I had a really good grasp on it and they suggest something else. Uh-huh. What do you mean? <laughs> just got that one. Uh, but, at the same time, there is an imperative there that we are somehow supposed to announce the good news, that this has to be good news some form or some way that God is king. But what does that look like? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. we've carried it way too far on what God is king looks like because we've decided what, you know, that what has, that has to look like culturally. Um, but I do think, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, you know, if you're going to take it, you got to take it in the context of Matthew. Sure. I think you have to take it too in the context of, I mean, in Matthew, 
is this conversation about like this this text has been dubbed the Great Commission, um, but there's uh, there's there I think there's only one place in Matthew. Where, well, there is the greatest who's the greatest conversation, but in terms of like the greatest teachings, the the only the place in Matthew where that comes up in in the language of the conversation is the greatest commands. What are the what, if you're to sum up the law? What what what's what's greatest in the law? Loving God with everything, and loving your neighbor as yourself. And um, I I think that's a that's a filter through which to read and view and interpret this commissioning text. That if it doesn't look like loving God and loving our neighbors, we have violated the intent of this commission. Yes, that's right. That's the logic of Matthew five through seven. That's right. Yep. Was there a? We have a Ryan over here. Uh, yeah. So, um, the whole colonialization thing, uh-huh. like that, makes me feel so much better about my baggage. Um, <laughs> so, so uh, because so that is this sarcasm or uh, no? Okay, no, okay, actually, okay. so when uh in the work Sarah and I used to do, um, we were part of this organization at the time that was like, there, there was this talk of like, okay, well, like once we engage every people group on the planet, then like game over, right? Yeah. And so that was part of the, um, so that was what I had hangups on before. And so I feel way better about that mm. now. Um, but so anyhow, that's kind of some of my baggage that I bring to this mm-hmm. passage is like, how do I think about that? Um, and then I guess what you were saying about translation, um, it's like, just, it's just really tricky. Um, this, like what we're talking about reminds me of this story where we had a woman colleague within a Baptist organization and that's already like, pretty edgy, right? That this, this one, you know, that this woman is like actually like leading a not insignificant group of people within our organization. And she was really cool by the way. Um, and she was working in, uh, like kind of an Arabic Islamic kind of setting. And there were some ladies that, uh, decided to follow Jesus and, uh, there was like this dilemma, right? Because these ladies decide that they should be baptized. Um, and our, my friend, this colleague, this woman leader is like, I'm not allowed to baptize them because I'm a woman within my denomination, within this organization. So what do I do? Um, and it was just really tricky, right? Because she has like this kind of like organizational kind of bureaucracy kind of hierarchy and, and belief structure that's dictating what she's allowed to do. Um, and then she has these people that want to believe and like, and it's tricky too, because where are they going to find a man to do this? Like in an Arabic Islamic situation, Mm -hmm. there could actually be some danger involved, Mm -hmm. um, or any of them. And, um, so I just remember her like wrestling with this and like, this is long, I'll wind it up because I don't have an answer. Like, it's just an example to me of like how tricky this is. Um, 
like, in the, you know, where my brain goes is like, how did these women get the idea that baptism was important? Did they just get that from reading the gospels or reading the new Testament Um, or did my colleague somehow like convey that because of her own kind of set of beliefs and biases? Like, you know, that's what I end up wondering uh, how that story played out. Uh, was that actually the next time she saw them, one of the women had baptized the other and they sorted out themselves. And so that was like really cool. <laughs> that was really cool. Um, you know, and so it like problem solved in a sense. And I think that it was just an example of the Holy Spirit probably uh, sorting things out. But yeah. yeah. Love that. I have a couple thoughts, n- neither of which are definitive or grossly helpful to any of this but um that's too bad because that all of my thoughts are definitive and grossly helpful, helpful. okay <laughs> so i just finished reading this book called everything sad is untrue which had a lot of hype and it wasn't as good as i hoped so take that for what it's worth but it is a story of a refugee from iran who came because his family who was muslim and they were um I'm not going to say it right, but the word is S-A-Y-Y-E-D, which means you believe that you are, you can prove that you are somehow descended from Mohammed. And um, so it makes you like not royalty, but like pretty hardcore Muslim. Like when you tell people you are, I I said it when I was reading it, Saeed, but I don't know if that's right. Yes. It's like, I could, yes. Okay. Like I can trace myself back. And so people are like, oh, like you're really special. Um, so his mom, some Christian missionary somehow got in the country and his mom, who was a surgeon, they worked really hard at converting her and baptized her. And then long story short, they had to leave the country under duress because people who had been converted were, you know, being beheaded in the street and left his family and now came and he has spent the rest of his growing up life with his mom as a janitor at a hospital and like just the juxtaposition of she was a neurosurgeon in Iran and her degrees don't mean anything here. And just the long process of being allowed to enter this country where he had perceived this religion had been so welcoming and like, you just have to become a Christian and like the pro like what that cost them. And then what the welcome was on the other end is so jarring. Um It just really leaves you feeling so uneasy about the whole the whole, um, you know, foreign missionary goals and concepts of, of passages like this. Um, and then in your mind, I think I go back to this default of I was taught, well, like Jesus says, you'll suffer for him, you know, and that you'll, it will come at a cost. And you're like, but really like this was a kid who like his dad couldn't get out of the country. So his mom is raising him and they send them to Edmond, Oklahoma. And he's like, just imagine going from, he had, they had lived on all this property with fountains. And he says, he, it's, it is really beautiful in some points. It just was kind of a boring book. But um, he says, you know, like Americans spend their money on things and people in Iran spend their money on space. And so like they have all these fountains and goats and date and big tree, you know, all this stuff. <clears throat> and then going from all that to Oklahoma City, um, where he he's now an adult obviously a writer. So that, that kind of thing, I sit with all the, how many stories there must be like that, that are so unsettling um, for me and how to reconcile what this means. So then I'm thinking we watched Indiana Jones last night. 
um, with Chloe, as there's a new one coming out, we're like, you should watch these old ones. And first one, he's looking for the Ark of the Covenants, you know, and they get to the end where. Now you're going to spoil it, huh? Yeah. This is the first one. I've felt like I statue of limitations expired. I've seen it since I was a kid, so I was <laughs> right. Um Yep. So um I'm why you're watching this and you're thinking like so in the, everybody, Indiana Jones and the Nazis are trying to find the lost Ark of the Covenant. And Indiana Jones' purpose is so that he can study it and know it more and like what good could we use for either archaeological historical future purposes and the nazis are so that if we have the power of god we can take over the world if it's going before us um and i'm thinking i just was sitting with that thinking about this book i had just finished like i think the problem is not that jesus asked us to do this but that there's such grossly different motivations mm. and way and um, the ramifications are not weighed out because this this book is like, man, there's a cost, but it didn't come to the people who were, you know, evangelizing. The cost came to the other people. And so it's very easy to tell somebody, I think, um, well, there's a cost for following Jesus when it's not your cost. Um, so just, just, I'm just sitting with the discomfort of that. And I don't know what vision of healing or liberation can come from that. But you think about Indiana Jones, like, man, he just wanted the Ark of the Covenant to protect it from evil and to see what like historical value it had and not world domination. And I just feel like evangelical Christianity has aired on the side of world domination uh-huh. and not like, how can we protect the story of God in its purity? It's really good. Uh, I I will say a thing and then we'll, for the sake of time, We'll do our last reading. Um, that connects to what I was, uh, that connects to what I was thinking about. I mean, I think in this text, part of what gets distorted and corrupted is when there is a, um, like a, a narrative of supremacy that's at play or that latches on to the imagination of this text. And, you know, we're familiar with white supremacy. I think Christian supremacy is a thing too. Um, that Christians are superior, uh, and that non-Christians are inferior. And, um, and that Christian supremacy, I think, is what animates the doctrine of discovery. Um, in, anytime, uh, we create narratives where we're up here and folks are down here, this power differential that's created creates the conditions for harm, for abuse, for oppression, for subjugation, for the dehumanization of this other group and the things that happened there. And so I think part of how we respond to this text in healthy ways is dismantling those notions of supremacy. Well, I mean, isn't Christianity wonderful, Charles? But but yeah, yes, I think it is. I I follow it because I think it is. But I, I, Christian supremacy is something different than that. I think the language of our, of our tradition is humility. Uh, the way of Jesus is kenosis or self-emptying, self-giving. That is, that's the vibe, not, not supremacy. So we have to dismantle. And I think we have resources in the gospels too, where, where we, we don't enter into new contexts to make disciples 
to find all the problems and to fix the problems. There are problems. We will find them. We can talk about them. But we also go expecting to find the imprint of the creator in that context. We expect to find Samaritans who are outside of our tribe caring for folks and doing justice in ways that poke at our preconceptions and our our assumptions about what the other is like, right? We have all of, Jesus does that all throughout the gospels. Um, anyway, the, I mean, this, I, this is a really important conversation. I may, I, I think I, um, care about it a lot just by virtue of my vocation. Um, but I think to the degree that we're all Christian folks trying to figure out how do we, what does it mean for us to be spiritual communities in our neighborhood? Uh, some of the deconstructing we have to do is around stories like this and not to throw them in the trash, but to say, no, that's actually a terrible way of understanding what that really should be or what it is. Um, yeah. Yes. And some doubted and there was space for that and they weren't annihilated. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Yeah. Could we get somebody to do the last reading around be still? What's the text calling you to pay attention to in yourself to more fully support this resistance and vision? And for the sake of time, this will be, we'll just do a introspective kind of reflection and we'll, we'll end with our minute of silence to reflect on what this might mean for each of us. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus sent them. And when they saw them, they bowed down, worshipping him. But some doubted. Then Jesus came and said to them, saying, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now look, I am with you always to the end of the age. What is the text calling you to pay attention to in yourself to more fully support this resistance and vision? Thank you, God, for your presence here with us. Thank you, Jesus, for space to doubt and 
to wrestle. Uh, Thank you for your example of self-giving love, for your invitation and modeling of a, a way of life that loves God and loves our neighbors. Would you give us the strength of your spirit to love each other well, to love our neighbors well, and for that to to be a witness, to be a testimony of your work in this world, of your, uh, your reign, your gracious and loving reign, and uh, the renewal and restoration that you are working in this cosmos and in humanity. In Jesus' name, amen.